I heard um, in the background, I heard the boat coming in and I heard her coach saying, right, Janet, you're up next. Well, it was the 29th of March and I was training at Ski School in Florida. It was around two o'clock in the afternoon and the phone rang and it was hubby Paul and the coach called me and said, come on, off the phone, let's go. And I said to Paul, I've got to go. I'll phone you back in about half an hour. I finished making my tea, sat down to eat it, and the phone rang, and I picked the phone up and said, right, hide the gold floss. And the guy at the other end said, it's not, it's Michael. And I said, and he seemed very agitated, and I said, what's up, Michael? And he said, you need to get out here quickly. And I said, oh, why, what's up? And he says, you just need to get out. Um, the phone went dead, and of course you go into sort of free fall. Um, I phoned back, and every time I phoned the ski school, it was engaged. Janet's phone was ringing and ringing, there was no answer. And I then realised there must be something seriously wrong. And I put the skis on, gave all my instructions to the boat crew, and we set off from the dock, and I stayed behind the boat as normal, waiting for the signal. And suddenly there was just a massive impact. I hit the blunt end of the ski ramp, the big metal ski ramp in the middle of the lake at very high speed. So I phoned back um, Janet's mobile and the girl answered it. And it was then that I was told that Janet had had this accident. And at that precise moment, the air ambulance was taking her to the hospital and I needed to get to Florida as soon as possible. I was dragged back across the lake and I remember the helicopter coming and my femur was badly smashed and had come out through my shorts and I knew there was something seriously wrong and I don't remember very much after that. We got the grasp that this was serious, that Janet wasn't expected to make the night. And they told him, well, you know, she's definitely not going to make it through the night and if you could just speak to your undertaker and, you know, we're preparing things at this end to fly the body home. And, and possibly there was a, a very high possibility, probably in the high, the high 90% bracket, that when I got to Florida, I would basically be going there to identify a body. I crushed the head of my right femur, dislocated the hip. Uh, it was a nasty compound fracture. I dislocated and broke the elbow and snapped a tendon in the left thumb. I dislocated ribs, dislocated the jaw, broke it in three places, lost teeth. I also smashed the cheekbones, the eye sockets and the nose, so the face was just an absolute mess. And then from there were also a lot of crush injuries and I had a an emergency tracheostomy done because of the breathing difficulties. Uh, my heart had stopped three times. I was an absolute mess. I was having blood transfusions and I was on life support. It was really, really scary. And I remember thinking that um, I'm not going to make it and I'm never going to see any of them again. I had no passport to go to America. I phoned Jeffrey Donaldson, the local MP, um, who in turn phoned Ian Paisley, who in turn phoned another local Lisburn councillor. And between them all, they got me my flights to America. They got me my passport the next morning for the flight. They held the flight from Belfast to Gatwick for me, and they held the flight from Gatwick to Florida for me. 
So I was there the following evening in America. My heart had stopped three times and three times they revived me, so um, it just wasn't good. I never thought that I would, I would actually survive it. When you go into a, an ICU unit in America, it's not one or two beds, it's floors of beds. When I eventually found Janet's room with them, it, it was then very apparent that Janet was extremely sick. So she was, um, that, that there was something really seriously wrong with her. The amount of machinery just instantly told you that. Um, and the amount of people around her and doctors and nurses, you just instantly knew that this was really a make or break thing, so it was. Two years on from the accident, Paul sits alone in the waiting room of the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast. Over the past few years, I've got used to it. I've got used to taking her up somewhere, leaving her off, and holding the handbag until she comes back out again. But it's just become a way of life over the past two years. It has. Yeah. Janet's not the only person to end up in hospital, and she probably will never be the last person. Everybody that has someone that's ill or has had a serious accident goes through the exact same emotions and appointments that I do. You know, I'm no different from anyone else. It's just this has happened to Janet, who happens to be a, a sports person, but anybody that has a real bad accident goes through their families, go through the exact same you know, emotions and, and all the bits that I go through. Initially, the doctors in America had said that I would be in hospital there for at least four months. Then the insurance company, of course, decided, well, everything boils down to money these days. So they decided, no, they would have me uh, flown home air ambulance as soon as the life-threatening surgeries were done so as I could come home and have the rest of the care and surgery done at home. To come home, it was a horrendous experience, one which I hope I never, ever have to experience again. I had to come home on one of the scheduled aircraft and I had two uh, nurses with me and we travelled by ambulance then to the airport and one of the nurses had a pack on his back and I was connected up to everything then, obviously his power pack, etc., and drips and all the rest of it and everything that I needed. And I couldn't believe it when they actually insisted I go up to the check-in desk on the ambulance trolley. We had trouble going through the security because I was totally unrecognisable with the injuries. And, you know, so they couldn't even tell if it was me from the passport photograph. Uh, I remember at the security there was a bit of commotion because they asked, um, could I not just jump off the trolley? You know, and the nurses said, you know... Uh, hello, what planet are you on, you know? And so um, we got round and then we were to go into the lounge and, of course, they said, no, I couldn't come in, I might be contagious. And they left us out in the corridor and when we went to get on the BA flight then, we were left 
right down at the plane, hanging about for an hour, which was horrible because it wasn't air-conditioned, and I had to lie on the floor. On the st- stretcher had to be put in the floor, and the stretcher, the first stretcher they gave to the nurses was filthy, and they said no, they wouldn't accept it. The second one wasn't much better, and the attitude was, sure, just clean it. We, I was supposed to go on the plane to get settled in, and they kept us waiting and waiting, and they put me at the very, very back of the plane. They put a row of seats down, and uh, put me on a metal bulk uh, against a metal bulkhead, just on a metal bench. Uh, no cushions, no padding, no nothing, and no curtain up. There was supposed to be, you know, a bit of a a privacy curtain up. There was nothing, and we had a horrendous flight home. And it was a, an awful experience. I think it was about eight hours. Paul and Janet are hoping this could be the end of the road. I think today could be a, a really big day for her, but we're, we're hoping that Niall said that... Janet is hoping the doctor will allow her to resume competitive training. She's hoping for a place on the national team for the upcoming European Championships. I, I don't think it the... I don't think she's that really in. She's that motivated. Um, or motivated would be a wrong word. She would be motivated to go to the Europeans. It would be the pure fact that, that she would be considered strong enough and competitive enough to be considered as a team member rather than, than an individual. I went into the trauma unit at the Royal. And I was there for another month. Before then, I came home and, well, for the first six months at home, then I needed 24-hour care. At first, they they said I wouldn't walk again. And this just, it wasn't going to happen. And I remember Paul just talking about he was changing the car and a friend who's a builder was going to... Um, you know, build as a bungalow and things, and things would be okay. And I just, I remember writing on the notepad that, no, no, hold on, this will be temporary. Believe me, this will be temporary. She really was immensely talented at what she actually did. She she really is a very talented athlete, um, despite her blindness. Um, And she, here she is. Talk to the devil. I just wanted to know how things were going. Yeah, just waiting, waiting for them now and then just go back up to see the consultant. Sure. Is Christine gone? No, she's not here. She's not here, okay. <laughs> if you were wondering why Janet didn't notice Christine, It's because Janet has been blind since the age of 20. The good thing about having had sight until I was 21 was the fact that I can visualise things now very quickly. I know what a sunny day is like, I know what the sea is like when it's really rough or what the lake's like. Whereas, how do you describe that to someone who has never seen? At least I can visualise things very quickly and I know what colours I still have a lot of colours in my head and I know what colour matches what and I like to be coordinated with everything so it's good to have had sight We have an eye condition in the family which is called glaucoma but 
there are 258 types of glaucoma. So it's a very, very rare strain. And we didn't know enough about it until my father actually lost his sight in his early 20s. And they thought it was a fluke and just a one-off and would never be passed on. But then my younger brother took it. And at that stage, they then assumed that, oh, it'll only hit the male strain of the family because I was older and I was all right. But unfortunately, at 14, I actually developed it as well. And my sight was controlled with surgery and eye drops for quite a while. But then I had an accident when I was 20. And it was actually while I was in work one day, a chap collided with me and he knocked me out. And it was that bash to the cheekbone that actually exacerbated the whole condition. And I lost my sight very suddenly from that. I remember things weren't good and I went in for surgery and unfortunately there were a lot of complications during the operation and I basically woke up, they were trying to save the sight and unfortunately I woke up without sight and that was horrendously scary because suddenly you were thrown into just a whole world of darkness and right away you know, your self-confidence goes, you're very vulnerable, you're frightened, scared and life just changes dramatically. I don't think I'll ever forget just wakening up and just how scary it was. And then, of course, you you just hope against hope that, you know, this this is temporary and things will improve. And unfortunately, it didn't. Probably pick up what the main he's probably been detained in surgery. I think when I lost my sight, the hardest thing for me to do was to have to sell the car. I was driving from I was seventeen and when I lost the sight then obviously I had to sell the car. But I think it was it was not only the actual selling of the car, but it was the whole symbol of your independence. You know, I could no longer just jump into the car in the mornings and go to work um, totally independently. To do anything at all, then you had to rely and be dependent on others to get around and then to have to go out and learn to use a white cane. You know, it's, um, so I think that the one thing that was really tough to do was to have to sell the car and just accept that you know, I was going to have to be totally dependent on others and eventually take up a cane myself. I always think that the adjustment period was pretty horrendous and I always look at it like I lost the, the years between 20 and 30 in my life because that's when I was going through the hardest time and that awful period of adjustment, it's, it's very, very difficult. Suddenly you're thrown into this complete world of darkness and 90% of life is visual and when you lose that, you know, that major sense, it's horrendous. So I always think that it took basically between 20 and 30, and people joke about life starting again at 40. I think for me it maybe started coming up to 30 uh, because I'd find skiing then and it was just beginning again, which was fabulous. John Snow Gray, John Snow Gray. 
Hi, Jan. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Nana. How are you? Lovely to see you. Take, take a seat just behind Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Thanks That's very you. much. So, how have you been on the last few months? Very, very well. Very I've good. started very slowly pushing things and great. worked hard in the gym. Great. I had a screening last week, which went very well. They replaced Excellent. nothing out of the ordinary that we didn't know yes. already with the injuries, and that'll help in the gym because we're now working on the weak areas. Great. So, um, I've started back on the water slowly. So. And being very, very careful, Excellent. yes. Excellent. So How's the leg feel doing that? Not bad, good days and bad days. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just working within the pain barriers and... Is it tired when you come off the water? Yes, and I know as soon as the hip starts to dire, then I just get back in the boat. I know. The x-rays look very good, Janet. The x-rays look excellent. The bone is healed very well, and the thickness of the bone is getting back to near normal. Good. But still, just be a bit careful that leg. It's not as strong as the other leg is yet. No. Um, so just don't be any jumping, nothing, no. nothing too mad in these skis of yours. No. That's fantastic, you're back doing that level again, that's wonderful. So how's, how's the elbow and hand doing? Are those holding it back um, at all? Yes, well we've had to change a lot of things. We had to change the grip and slalom because the elbow mm -hmm. wouldn't let me do it the way I used right, to. Right. And also the double boot on the slalom ski, we've had to abandon that and right. go to a rear toe because it was putting too much, it was forcing me onto the back leg too much, too okay. much pressure on the hip. Okay. So we've changed a lot of things, style and stance and everything, but it's all new again, it's Very like good. starting Very over, good. but, but Jan, going well. How long since the accident now? About two years? Two and a half years almost. Uh, my name is, is Mr Niall I'm one of the orthopaedic trauma surgeons here in the Royal. Uh, Janet was transferred from America back to the Royal and came under my care here. You would hope that most people would get back to walking and functioning well, but the, the global injury that Janet had to her whole body was huge. And many patients have died with that injury. She is wonderful in every respect. Awesome patient. Awesome patient. Um, there's nothing that's been too hard for Janet to cope with. These injuries would have killed many a patient. Uh, she was in that category of injury. Um, so to come through all that and to be now talking about championships again, that's truly remarkable. Thank you very much, Niall. Say goodbye. Say thanks a lot. Seriously, but you know, if you fancy being a little bit trying to, I ski, but like we're nowhere near your realms. You're embarrassing. No, seriously, just break flipping leg while I'm in the skis beside you. I won't know. It'll be really good if you tell me. Water skiing for me has been a has been my life really, and my goal, my personal goal, was just to get back out on the water. I know that I've nothing to prove in tournament, and you know I've proved myself time and again. But personally, my goal is just to get my life back. You know, so much has been taken from me, and okay, was things are never going to be the same. You know, my body's not never going to be the way it was in my face but for me just getting out on the water again and getting as much of my life back as possible is my main goal and I think then I can start to move on and put the past behind me because I feel I'll have got back a big part of my life. With the doctor's blessing, 
Janet spends the rest of the week at Loch Innie Water Ski Park outside Belfast. That way, where you're all your jump kit. Yeah, because you want your arm slinging everything on, so you can wear your helmet if you want. Her coach for the week is the Australian national champion, Ryan Green. He directs her by blowing on a whistle. Paul was a water skier, but when we met, he was out of his sport. And it was actually a few years after we'd got married or so that his uncle said to him one day, look, why don't you come down to the lake for a ski? And off we went. And I remember going into the boat and just enjoying being around the lake and on the water. And they said, would I like to try? And so... We put two ropes out the back of the boat and Paul went out alongside me on another set of skis. Basically, he grabbed me by the scruff of the life jacket and said, stand up now. And I got up first time, did three laps of the lake, and that was it. I was hooked, but I wanted to do it on my own the next time, which was fabulous because when I lost my sight, for me, sport had ended. You know, I couldn't get into a public swimming pool and go swimming or anything, and I just thought that was it, you know. But suddenly then, I think it was a big turning point for me because it just gave me that boost to the self-confidence, which would have been at its lowest ebb from losing the sight. We have three different disciplines in water skiing, slalom, tricks and jump. Slalom's really fast, and I'd say it's my favourite because you get on the end of the rope just like a sighted skier. You get up, you get a whistle to start, and off you go. And it's that freedom... I think of being on the water just like anyone else. You ski around the six-boy course. It's a staggered six-boy course. And when I get the signal, I cut out. We actually use an audio system. And if you score the boy, then you get an audible bleep from the boat. It's all quite a complicated computer system that works on the angle of the rope and the speed and the distance. But at top speed... The boat is at 34 miles an hour, which is 55k, and I would be travelling at twice that distance, so you're looking at around 70 miles an hour that you're actually travelling, and you've less than 17 seconds to run the course at that speed. Tricks are pretty tricky. Tricks, they often say, is like standing on ice on top of a bar of soap. It's just incredibly slippy, And again, it's just one ski and you go out and it's a much slower speed and you've got to have lots of balance and control. Balance is absolutely crucial. And you do various 180s, 360s, etc., rotations. And when you do a trick, you must follow it by the exact same trick, only in reverse. And the higher the points, then the more difficult the trick, obviously. And you've two... 20 second passes so you submit your trick run and you do your tricks in that order and hopefully you stay on your feet and score them Um, we also do wake tricks which is spinning off the top of the wake which the points are much higher of course than just doing them behind the boat then we have jump is the third discipline now it's the really dangerous one 
and because it's so dangerous and you're heading towards a large jump ramp in the centre of the lake then you have to have a ski guide along with you so what happens is the coach will go out alongside me and he counts once we turn into the ski jump course he'll call out the 180 marker then the 150 and then after we pass the 100 metres we start to cut towards the ramp and we move out to the left and the coach is there to count you down he basically shouts five, four, three, two, one, ramp and as he's calling that out and making sure I'm lined up to go over it he cuts away and travels behind the boat and I go over the ramp and hopefully we meet up at the other side jump is worked on distance and it's your best distance out of three jumps signals is for the boat's going to turn around and then a long signal is for her to basically let go of the handle that we wanted to stop so um that was nice your base basics were really good good we'll work a little bit on that wake out and the wake back to back again eh good yeah it was nice you can still go on it just a touch earlier yep really try and think about working that handle to the hips a little bit earlier Get up, we'll get up and then we'll spin. So okay. I'll I'll blow the whistle twice. She always competed at the, the Disabled Championships and then there was an opportunity arose at Mucknow um, at the National Championships because at that time she was still skiing for Ireland and she went to the Irish National Championships um, which were held at Mucknow and decided rather than be a lonely little disabled person basically skiing against themselves, she would go out and compete on an even foot against all the rest of the girls and she won the national championships. We didn't really think that much about it. Janet sort of went, wow, and we sort of thought about it, and we thought about it, and then we, we sort of realised that with the right training, that Janet just couldn't be a national champion, she could be a world champion. Um, and it was really then that we decided to, to really investigate what opportunities lay, lay outside of Ireland, uh, where could she train, um, who were the best people to train there, where were the best coaches in the world, and that's why we, we ended up going to America. Whenever I started skiing at first, I was learning just two of the disciplines, slalom and tricks, because my husband Paul always said that it was crazy for blind people to jump and his wife was never going to jump. And fair enough, I was learning slalom and tricks. And so it was just before the World Championships in 1999 I went over to this training week. It was for all the European blind skiers. And we all met in London. And the second day of the course, the boys started teasing me about learning to jump. And I said, no, no, not jumping. And they kept on and kept on. And finally, one of them said, oh, go on, Jan, I dare you. And I stopped the conversation and the titters and the laughter dead by saying, OK, you get me a pair of skis and a helmet and I'll go and talk to the coach. And, of course, suddenly we had all the mental gear crashing and the, the backpedalling. Oh, but, 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 Paul will go absolutely mad. And what if you break your leg? And I said, well, A, Paul's not here. 
he doesn't need to know. And B, if I break my leg, well, we'll worry about that if and when it happens. I went over the ramp the first time and I landed and let go of the rope. Second time out, I was not going to let go of that rope for anybody. And so I went over the ramp, landed and skied away. And it was the most awesome feeling. You know, I just, I couldn't believe what I'd just done. I just landed my first ever jump. But um, that was the start of it. And of course, I couldn't tell the hubby what I was doing. Because I not only was I learning to slalom every day, I was also learning to jump. And so the last night of the course, we had a wee party just to celebrate the birth of my jumping career. And Paul phoned up in the middle of it. And the boys started to chant, Jumping Jan, Jumping Jan. Oops. Well, all I can say is that I'm very, very glad that I was in London and he was in Belfast at that stage because he went absolutely ballistic. Finally, he very grudgingly gave me his blessing and I came home and he literally threw a new jumpsuit at me and said he was buying me a new pair of jump skis if I was going to jump in the World Championships five weeks later, which I did, and that was the start of it. But Paul hates to watch me jump, and he usually walks off. He won't jump guide for me because he knows himself. He always says, as we come down to that crucial moment of just letting you go on your own and over the ramp, he just says he just couldn't do it. He would make me refuse the ramp every time, which is no good for me. So I always jump with um, my coach. Good, the edge was okay then, and the, the pull to the hips, but you're just on a little bit too much of a lean, so you're going a bit too hard. Right, try and stay over your ski a little more. Yeah, it was clear. Yep, just, a li just went a little, little bit too hard. and she went across there and that was the first time she competed um, she, what they class as three eventing and she became a three event uh, world champion which are very rare there, there's world championships or world champions in water skiing but they tend to either be slalom jump or trick and there's very few of them um, become world champions in all three disciplines and Janice won of them the second year after that she went to Australia and regained her title at Australia and then after that, they were in Ultimate Springs out in Florida in 2003. Um, and she went back there. And she not only retained her title, she broke most of the world record standing and was the, the most medalled skier of the tournament and had amassed the most points of the tournament. The, in the 2003 World Championships, I had a very hard-fought tournament for various reasons because... When it came to the slalom final, we actually, I drew first place with the Italian girl who would be my biggest rival, I suppose. And we actually had to do a ski off. And you've just, you've just got to pull yourself together and say, OK, I've got to do it. And thankfully, I went out at top speed for my, my one pass because they had set a target of six boys at 55, which is top speed for the world record. So I didn't only want to win, I wanted that world record and those team points badly for our team as well. So thankfully it was make or break 
and I made it. But that was a, a very tough time. And then it came to the jump, and of course, you think, oh well, the two tough ones are out of the way, here comes jump. But the wind dropped just as I left the dock, and I called to the guide and I said to him, oh no, the wind has dropped, which meant that there was no wind to wash away the rollers from the previous skier. And just as we came to the bottom of the ski ramp, I bounced on the backwash and I hit the ramp and at top speed I was flipped into the air completely upside down and CNN were in the chopper above me and of course they got the, the autograph and the, the, the bottom of my skis and I landed head first in the water and the right ski kicked the left shin so hard I got a tiny fracture but in situations like that when the adrenaline's really flowing and you know you've only got two jumps left again you've got to get up and so the pain didn't really kick in at that stage it was a case of oh no I need to get back up I need to go back round and land these next two jumps for the gold and thankfully I did and then you know it wasn't until I got to the dock and the adrenaline's still flowing of course then you get the skis off and then the pain sinks in try and be just a touch softer with your knees on that one Janet you're, you're quite tall Okay, if we can be a little bit softer, it's just going to feel a bit more comfortable. You'll be in a stronger position. Yeah. All right? It's a bit it's funny because it's a bit ahead of the spine. It's hard to feel the exact point at the top of the leg. Yeah, I bet. It's a bit of a chop. Yep. Yeah, it's def definitely a lot choppier than when you skied the other day. can't beat anything more than a world champion I mean that's really the bottom line when you think of those two word two words in any sport um, it's as good as it gets I mean I'm personally not a world champion it's one of my goals to be a world champion I'm Australian champion I'm Asian Australasian champion but I've never been world champion and you know that's something I'd like to retire with to say you know wow I you know I'm the best in the world but unfortunately I can't say that yet <laughs> I, like I said, I sit there and watch her and I just can't believe myself going out there being blindfolded or something. Like, uh, pretty much everything we do is all with sight. It's for balance and, and to see Janet out there on skis, not only just on skis riding around, but she's, she's slaloming, she's tricking, she's jumping. As Janet reaches top speed, her board flips from underneath her. This is called catching an edge. She's turned head over heels and smashes into the water. It looks bad. The crew are worried. Are you okay, Janet? Janet, are you all right? Are you sure? Oh, that was a hard call. Are you okay, Janet? Yeah, just relax, she's fine. Okay. You okay? Yeah, just relax. Just caught a bad edge. Janet's fall today was probably one of the worst falls I've ever seen. Um, and it obviously shocked her. It shocked me a little bit too to see her to fall so hard like that. But, you know, being the... Um, sort of the true professional that she is she got back up and I was just talking to her a couple of minutes ago so I sort of said to her you know it might be a good idea to have the rest of the afternoon off and you know she didn't even want to hear that she's like no I'm going to be back out on the water and 
and that's that. So very, very determined and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to talk her out of not skiing this afternoon. I know she'll want to get back out on the water. It's almost like falling off a horse. She'll want to get back on that horse and, you know, that's what she'll do this afternoon. Still shaken, Janet decides to call it a day. I'm not going to ski this afternoon. Okay, good idea. Yeah, That's I think good. it is. Have a bit of a rest and then yeah. we'll get back into it tomorrow. Back That's out there. It. Yeah, it's not very often, thank God, you see it happen. Yeah. You know, and it was just a shock, I think. Yeah, it all happened pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those days, I think. Yeah. yeah. Bad omen, thank God. Call it a day. No worries, I hope yeah. you're feeling better tomorrow Thanks and so uh, we'll yeah. see you Friday. Thank you, well indeed. We'll have a bit of a Take go on that audio slalom. Oh, yeah, well indeed. Alrighty. Alrighty, I'll see you see later. Have a good change. I was shocked by Janet's fall. When I met Paul later, I asked him why she puts herself through so much pain. I, I suppose none of us will ever know. Um, unless you lose your sight, it, it's impossible to tell what it is. Um, I would only dread to think what it would be like to walk around in total blackness. Um, Janet, blindness comes in various stages and various um, forms. There's a very few percentage, a very small percentage of blind people who fall within the category that Janet falls into, which is no light perception. Um, and that's that of all the blind people, um, that's about 2% of them. The rest of them can go from varying degrees of short-sightedness through to maybe blurriness, but Janet has no perception of light or dark. She couldn't tell you whether it's, 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 it's a bright day or a dark day. And for, for Janet to, to have something that when she goes out and she does it, that disability has no bearing on what she's doing. And I think that's part of it. So there's where she can turn around and she say, I'm as good as the next guy. Janet will train as hard as, it need, as she needs to get to where she's going to. Um, and if that entails taking a fall, she'll take the fall. If that entails pain, she'll take the pain. Um, but she's determined to get back on the water. She's determined to get our life back together. And, and for a player, yeah, I really do take my hat off to her. But I think Janet is just one of these extraordinary people who just goes that little bit extra and just tends... Every time you see her, she just tends to shine. You just know she's an extra special person. On Friday morning... Janet is back and is raring to go, and she has good news. Having just been selected for the European Championships, you know, to compete again is just unbelievable. After about, well, just after three weeks on the water, I did a, a small tournament at home, and just to see how I would go, and just for scores, I just tricked, and thankfully it went really well for me. My scores were really good, and... I sent those across and the tournament managers rang to say that I'd been selected for the European Championships, which are happening in August. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really exciting for me and it's something I thought wasn't going to be possible. Now suddenly, no pressure, just you've got Europeans in a few weeks' time. But just to be on the team is enough for me at the moment. I'm not out to break any world records or to do anything major at the Europeans, just to be part of the team is just, just makes me so happy at the moment. Janet Gray, um, 
probably the best thing ever that could maybe even go on our, our tombstone when the time to, to plant the power of us would be Janet Gray, the water skier. Five weeks later, I get a text message from Janet. She's won three gold and a silver at the European Championships. I th- it would be nice to be remembered as Janet the water skier rather than Janet the little blind girl who water skied. Janet's always said, it's lovely when people say it's Janet the water skier.